Welcome to Feeding the Flock and our expositions through the Old Testament book of Daniel. We're currently in chapter 9 at verse 26. Hi, I'm Glendale Tony. I am glad you joined me today for this Bible study. For the sake of the context, let's begin reading in verse 24 of chapter 9 of the book of Daniel, where it says this. Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. So you are to know and discern that from the beginning of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be built again with plaza and moat even in times of distress. Then, after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. And its end will come with a flood. Even to the end, there will be war. Desolations are determined. And he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. And on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate. Even until complete destruction, one that is decreed is poured out on the one who makes desolate. So I believe it's important for us to gain the context and gain the entire uh, words that Gabriel is now giving to Daniel at the end of chapter 9 because they are critical to understanding this time frame that is being laid out piece by piece and almost phrase by phrase. Now there's some uh, descriptive uh, uh, paragraphs or at least some descriptive sentences and phrases that, that apply uh, to to designate the exact point of uh, these uh, measurements of time, and especially at the beginnings and at the endings. And uh, we trust that we can go through this and uh, explain these things uh, verse by verse, quite literally, and phrase by phrase. And that's one of the reasons why uh, we have chosen to uh, uh, take a whole verse and a whole episode to cover one verse, and that is verse 26 in this uh, complete paragraph. So it says in verse 26, then after the 62 weeks, and it's important for us to, of course, uh, refer back to verse 25. What is the uh, 62 weeks he's referring to except what he's already said before in verse 25? Again, we remind you that these weeks are not weeks of days as we would commonly think of them because uh, that is very familiar to us and that would be our default fault uh, uh, setting, so to speak. When we see the word or hear the word weeks, we think of uh, weeks of days. But you see, as we have pointed out in this passage in chapter 9, that the context is all about the years. It's all about seven-year cycles. And uh, those seven-year cycles uh, had been missed by the nation of Israel, and God was, was uh, collecting all of the Sabbath years that the uh, nation of Israel had failed to keep and lump them all together in one um, one bulk 
package, and that was during the Babylonian Empire. But the Babylonian Empire and the uh, the the exile out of uh, the nation of Israel and out of the city of Jerusalem and away from the site of the uh, demolished temple, all of that was to last a total of 70 years. That's what uh, motivated Daniel to make his prayer at the beginning of chapter 9. And that, of course, is where we find ourselves in Gabriel's revelation of this this timetable. And, of course, we uh, laid that out a little bit uh, last uh, episode in verse 25, that, that there was this time frame between this decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the Messiah, the Prince. And this time frame in included a breakdown. And we're not quite sure what that breakdown means exactly, uh, because we're only given the beginning of the, uh, uh, of this, uh, this timetable of this decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. And that is the city, not, uh, not necessarily the release of the captives. That's a different uh, decree, not necessarily the, the decree that allowed them to rebuild the temple. That's a separate issue. This has to do with the city. And just so we're clear, it describes it. And that is, it will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. And of course, we realize that, that those things began with that uh, uh, issue of that paperwork, that uh, document that was given to Nehemiah to rebuild the walls. Now, it uh, evidently took uh, some time to build the walls, not as uh, much as uh, uh, these number of weeks of years, but it did take some time. And uh, those things were eventually fulfilled completely, even during dim, uh, those difficult times. And it says times of distress uh, is the very description of Nehemiah's construction project, because at a certain point in this construction, the uh, the, um, the the workers had to had to hold their the trowel or their uh, their tool in one hand and hold their sword or their weapon in the other hand. It was so fierce they didn't know when the enemy might attack. That is the description we find ourselves here with the very beginning of this, and then until Messiah the Prince in verse twenty-five. This is the Messiah of Israel, the son of David, the one who was uh, intended to take David's throne and reign on on his throne, reign over uh, Jerusalem and the city and uh, and the nation of Israel and even over the entire world, because that was the role that Messiah was supposed to claim. And it says, it says here that uh, when Messiah appears, or at least when he comes, that's going to be the the ending of this timetable of seven weeks and 62 weeks. And that breakdown, we don't know what is in between. Uh, that that means there's there will be 49 years, and then there will be uh, an additional set of years and uh, 62 weeks. And so that would total a 483 uh, 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 years of, of this timetable. And we believe that those 483 years were fulfilled when Jesus, 
Jesus offered himself officially to the city of Jerusalem, to the authorities of Judaism, uh, that day when he rode in on a donkey. That's the same method in which Solomon inherited David's throne, and I believe that is the same method in which uh, the son of David, Jesus himself, rode into Jerusalem using the same kind of carriage, you might say, sitting on the back of a donkey, uh, implementing this this uh, this method in order to gain the attention that he was here to inherit the throne of David as the Messiah. Now, of course, we know, and and I think uh, Jesus, of course, had a clue that uh, that these people were going to reject him. They weren't going to uh, accept him. Otherwise, they'd be out there on the street with everybody else singing Hosanna to the son of David. But he still went through this exercise of offering officially to the city of Jerusalem. And so we don't know after the 49 years and then the next uh, 62 weeks of years, we're not quite sure uh, what uh, the breakdown is there for. It may refer to the completion of the city that Nehemiah even didn't complete uh, all the way in, in terms of the plaza and the moat part. Or that 49 years may mark the end of uh, the revelation or the written scriptures of the Old Testament. That's approximately about the time that Malachi finished his writing. Uh, and so that could also be the, the reason why uh, the scriptures break it down this way, why Gabriel reveals it this way. But we just don't know. We're left at a, at a loss for a real clear answer. And, and so because of that, uh, it says seven weeks and 62 weeks, we have in our popular literature about this passage, we've just called it 69 weeks, even though the 69 weeks isn't used here in this passage. But we've used that shortcut to refer to that. And uh, that 69 weeks is 480 years. That is seven years short of the, of the total of uh, 490 years. So that's where we find ourselves. And it says then that uh, then after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. Well, there's a surprise of course, we we uh, we kind of get a hint. We're not just uh, blank uh, blank slates reading this this Bible verse. But if we were, uh, we would find that quite shocking. Now, notice that he uses a, a term uh, very precisely. Then, after the sixty-two weeks, that means this isn't a marker for the end of the sixty-two weeks. This is an event that happens when the 62 weeks have been over, or in our nomenclature, uh, the full 69 weeks. And that is, he says that uh, he'll be cut off and have nothing. That refers to a violent death. That refers to, to, the, to the fact that the Messiah would not be allowed to sit on his throne, would not be allowed to claim his authority, claim his position, claim his title. He wouldn't be there to do that. Why? Because someone came along and robbed him of it. That's all we know from this passage anyway. And, uh, and yet now, because we've seen uh, history play out, we believe that the Messiah officially presented himself when he rode into the, to the city of, uh, of Jerusalem on a donkey that day. And then just a few days later, after the marker was set, then the Messiah was cut off and he didn't inherit a physical throne. He didn't inherit a kingdom on earth. He didn't inherit the nation of Israel on earth. 
Instead, something else happened. He was cut off and he possessed nothing. That meant he possessed nothing on earth. There was nothing for him to inherit because they robbed him of it. And, uh, and of course, we, uh, we know what that was. That was the crucifixion. And then it says, go on, it says, and the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. This is very curious language. And we need to take this apart in some ways in order to understand what it's saying and then put it back together once we understand it. And that is this. Um, this prince here is a is a, not a capitalized prince. In other words, this point in the uh, description isn't a uh, uh, a reference to the Messiah, the prince. That's the one with the capital P in front of his uh, title, uh, Messiah, the prince. But here, this is the people of the prince who is to come. So this is a different prince. This is a prince that he's already talked about earlier in the book of Daniel. And this happens to be uh, the, uh, the prince who is that little horn in the fourth monster, if you remember in chapter 7 of Daniel, there is this monster that had 10 kings or 10 horns, and a little horn will, will spring up and, and destroy three of them, and he will take his place. And then uh, uh, Daniel chapter 7 verse 25 says, he will speak out against the Most High and wear down the saints of the Highest One, and he will intend to make alterations in times and in law, and they will be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. It is this same personage that we're talking about here, but we're not talking about the person of that, uh, that little horn, or in this case, this, uh, this uh, prince with a, with a small p, and that is, we're not talking about him, we're talking about his people. And of course, we know his people. His people, uh, prophesied in Daniel, is the Roman Empire. And of course, we saw that happen when the Roman Empire destroyed the city of Jerusalem in A.D. 70. Well, we'll be back right after this musical interlude. So I want you to notice uh, the exact phrasing here when we uh, get in the middle here of verse 26. It says, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. Uh, again, this is after what he calls uh, the 62 weeks have been have been transpired. In other words, the, the terminus point in the calendar uh, has already passed. And yet this final week, it doesn't even come up until verse 27. So that means there is at least these two events that uh, is, is prophesied as taking place between the end point of the 62 weeks, which is the Messiah presenting himself to the city of Jerusalem as the Messiah. And then uh, he will be cut off sometime after that point. Well, we know that to be the case, you see, because we know that Jesus, the Messiah, was crucified 
several days after he rode into the city of Jerusalem on the donkey. But it says, additionally, the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. Well, who are these people? It is the Roman government, the Roman people. The Roman people came in and destroyed the city of Jerusalem in A.D. 70. And that is the event that is prophesied here, and that is exactly what happened. So you might say, what happens to that uh, final seven-year period, that final week? Well, we're going to get into that perhaps in the next episode in verse 27. But in the meantime, I want you to at least notice in these verses and in these phrases, there are some exact ways in which Gabriel lays this out. And that means that these two events, the Messiah being cut off and the people destroying the city and the sanctuary, notice that they do this without being instigated by the prince who is to come. You see that? He hasn't come yet, and he hasn't come. He didn't come then, although there may have been some guesses of who, who, uh, who, might, have, uh, who might have been uh, uh, playing that role at the time, but in general sense of the term, uh, it is the people who destroyed the city and, and the sanctuary in A.D. 70. It was the Roman government. It was the Roman soldiers and the uh, and they were the one that came in and destroyed it. Now, there may have been other armies involved as well and other soldiers from other ways in which, uh, in which Rome may have uh, uh, brought them in to join them. But uh, in many regards, that's exactly what's going on. So, so Gabriel wants us to know exactly that this is not the prince who is to come that makes the destruction happen. This is the people. That is, the Roman people, the Roman government, the Roman army makes this destruction happen. And it says, and then uh, he gives this brief description. It says, and its end will come with a flood. Even to the end, there will be war. Desolations are determined. So this prince who is to come will come out of this fourth beast, according to Matthew, I'm sorry, according to Daniel chapter 7, verses 24 and 25. Now, this has already been pre, um, prefigured or pre-typed or, uh, um, uh, so that we know what this is going to look like. And we're going to get into that uh, later when we get into verse 27. This has been pre-examined by a person out of the Greek empire who came and desecrated the temple in Jerusalem. His name was Antiochus Epiphanes, Antiochus IV, or some people uh, put the emphasis on a different syllable and they call it Antiochus uh, IV Epiphanes. And he was the one who desecrated the temple. But uh, uh, we're not going to get into verse uh, 27 quite yet. It says, it says then that this future prince has a kingdom, but he doesn't inherit the kingdom yet. He's not a part of this picture. This is just the destruction that's going on here. And it says, its end will come with a flood. Even to the end, there will be war. Desolations are determined. So it's almost as if, as if Gabriel is given Daniel this idea that the... Um, 
the destruction of Jerusalem is uh, uh, has its way all the way to uh, the final days, and uh, and yet he's not even there yet. But he looks at it as one complete picture that the destruction of Jerusalem that the Romans carried out in A.D. seventy was a decimation of the city, a decimation of the temple, and everything else. And so that's exactly uh, what we uh, uh, what we find predicted here, and that that is part of what the people did. They destroyed the city and uh, and the sanctuary, both, and uh, that's what we look at. In fact, Jesus predicted it even during his own ministry on earth. He uh, on the very day he entered into Jerusalem on the back of that donkey and uh, and he was presenting himself as the son of David to inherit David's throne and yet at the same time all the officials uh including the high priests including the the Sanhedrin and including King Herod himself they were already in in rejection mode. Otherwise, they would have been there as a part of the reception, and they weren't. And uh, so Jesus himself knew that he was going to be rejected. He also knew he was going to be cut off and have nothing. He knew about his crucifixion to come. And uh, although uh, uh, Gabriel doesn't give us the details, say, for instance, uh, of of the crucifixion itself, he doesn't give us the details of uh, Jesus's burial. He doesn't give us details about uh, about his resurrection. He doesn't give us any details about Jesus's ascension from the earth back to the Father. All of those details are left out of this prophecy because it's not quite uh, pertinent to this timetable. He wants us to know the main structure so that we know how to anticipate what is to come. And the main structure is these two events are tucked in here between the uh, Messiah, uh, the prince, presenting himself and the uh, this last week that doesn't even start until described in verse 27. In the meantime, this one event is the Messiah is cut off. This other event is that the city and the sanctuary are are destroyed. And of course, we know uh, what happened, and Jesus predicted it. He said then, right after and in the middle of being rejected by the officials in Jerusalem, and he knew he would be, but... uh, Regardless of how enthusiastic his his following might have been that day, and uh, uh, the fact that they pulled down uh, palm branches and and threw clothing in front of in front of his path and all of that, and he appreciated all that. And in fact, he said, if if these people didn't do this, the rocks would cry out because of the significance of that day. And yet, he said on that day in Luke chapter nineteen, verses forty one through forty four, Jesus. Jesus predicted this idea that uh, even to the end there will be war, desolations are determined. And it says the end will come with a flood. Uh, That doesn't mean the flood like uh, Noah's flood, but it does mean something is going to overwhelm the city. And and it says uh, that uh, in the end there will be war, desolations are determined. Jesus said this, Luke chapter 19, verses 41 through 44. I'm going to read it now. It says, when he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it. Why was he weeping? Because he knew this was coming. 
that they were rejecting him and that this next event was going to play out. These next two events, actually, he knew that he was going to be uh, cut off and have nothing. He knew that the city and the sanctuary were going to be destroyed. Because what does he say in verse 42? It says, saying, if you had known this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side. You see, he's speaking of the city of Jerusalem. He is grieving over the city that he knows will be destroyed once he is off the scene. And he knows it's been predicted, I think, uh, from this very passage that the city and the sanctuary would be eventually destroyed by the Romans. And he says in verse 44, And they will level you to the ground and your children within you, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another, because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. They didn't know he was there. They didn't know that this was the Messiah. Some people did but not the officials. They were already rejecting him. They were already settled in their mind and that Jesus was a nobody out of Nazareth, but he wasn't the Messiah. And uh, that's, that's where their hearts were. So these other things are going to start to play out. And, and it's completely consistent with Jesus' own words about these events. The end will come with a flood, Even to the end, there will be war. Desolations are determined because they didn't recognize the time of their visitation. What about today? Do we recognize the time of Jesus's visitation? Visitation meaning the the Son of God on earth coming here, revealing the Father to us, revealing revealing his plan of salvation, that his death on the cross wasn't just an accident. It was a pre-planned event so in such a way that he could not only endure the wrath of men, but he endured the judgment of the substitute of sin for us that he was our substitute that day. When he was cut off and had nothing, he had nothing because he carried with him our sins to that cross. So as the Roman government were, was cutting him off from the throne, as the, as the Sanhedrin was, was turning their backs on him, on him and, and mocking him for his claims, he was dying for us so that we could have life in him. Jesus himself said in Matthew 24, he says, you will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened for those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And in various places, there will be famines and earthquakes, but all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. You see, we are living in this age, this gap, if you, if you please, this pause. He has put this timetable on pause. According to this passage, we know that this passage says and hints at this pause button uh, right here. And during the pause button, button, there is the, uh, the crucifixion and the destruction of, Jer- of uh, Jerusalem by the Romans. And at least it lasted that long. We think 
that it actually has lasted now for almost 2,000 years that that pause button has been put there uh, and that uh, that last week of years, that last seven years, has been postponed so that these words can now be fulfilled in the parenthesis here, in the, uh, in the pause. And, uh, and uh, it will one day, uh, God will take his thumb off the pause button and this thing will start kicking into gear once again. And we'll get into that again in verse 27 in our next episode. We hope you stick around for the conclusion of this paragraph and the conclusion of this entire 490-year timetable. And uh, so we invite you to come back and finish this up. Thank you, dear Father, for these words today. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. Thank you for the accuracy of the predictions that Daniel was was able to receive and he was able to write them down in such a fashion that we can clearly see what you had in mind. So we trust that you would take our future, you would take our own anticipation and cause us to turn our eyes toward our Redeemer and trust that he has taken away our sins so that we can face him with full forgiveness and cleansing because of the work that he did in dying for us on that cross. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope you enjoyed our presentation today. This is Glendale Tony. Join us again for the next episode of Feeding the Flock.